All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am Jay Taylor. I'm your host, and I'm talking to you from New York City on this, the 19th day of January 2021. And I do like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Call our number in New York, 718-457-1426. Normal business hours, you'll find us here, 718-457-1426. Like to plug Chen Lin's letter, what is Chen buying, what is Chen selling? Go to chenpicks.com, chenpicks.com, and Michael Oliver, olivermsa.com. Michael's with us today, and we'll be hearing from him in just a few minutes. Uh, do want to thank all of you for spending time listening to this show and for sending your comments along uh, we encourage you to continue doing that. Uh, questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors. This week's sponsors, Fury Gold Mines, Cassier Gold Corp., NV Gold, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, and SK Mining Corp. I've titled today's show, Is Bitcoin Your Financial Savior?, Alistair McLeod and Michael Oliver, as I mentioned, is with me. And uh, for the first time, Michael Timmons of Fury Gold Mines will be visiting us to talk about uh, Fury Gold Mines and three major projects that that company is advancing, um, multi-million ounce gold deposits. Uh, it's clear to those not prone to groupthink that global central banks are rapidly racing their currencies towards the dust- dustbin of history. Government deficits are growing exponentially. Rather than allowing interest rates to rise to levels required to fund those deficits, central banks match exponential growth of deficits with exponential growth of money. In the second half of today's show, Alistair McLeod will talk of the impact of an impending currency collapse disaster. What will that mean for the lives of all of us, and how should we best prepare uh, for that day when it comes? If you can at least get people to recognize that there is that potential. Most people don't believe it. Uh, we'll hear what Michael has to say and why he thinks it's something that you should pay close attention to. Um, and we'll hear what he has to say about Bitcoin as well. Does he think Bitcoin is one of the solutions to this uh, impending disaster? Well, we'll hear what he has to say about that. Uh, and in the second segment, uh, Michael Timmons will be with me. As I mentioned, just the pre- he is the president and CEO of Fury Exploration. Uh, he'll talk to us about that company's three Canadian gold projects, one in Nunavut, one in Quebec, 
and one in British Columbia. And, uh, Michael Timmons, uh, as I say for the first time, will be with us today. This is a successor company to RN Resources. Some of you will remember RN was a previous sponsor to this show as well. Well, RN has um, acquired another company and uh, acquired some assets with that and added to its own, and it's a, it's a company I think you're going to want to pay some attention to. That is Fury Exploration. But now I'm glad to say that Michael Oliver is with us. I know all of you are eagerly awaiting to what he has to say, especially uh, since on uh, January 8th, he turned, I'd say, somewhat cautious on gold. Welcome, Michael, and thanks for joining me again. Hey, good to be back. Good to be back, and I just have to ask you because, and I told, I tweeted out, I said to people, Michael doesn't turn cautious or bearish on gold very often, and that's why when he does say something, it means something you want to pay attention to what, to what you have to say. But just comment, if you would, please, Michael, on January 8th, what you had to say. I would say sort of mildly cautious about gold. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at, we have various magnifying glasses that we look at when we analyze the trend of gold. <clears throat> and I'm talking not just price, but momentum of gold. Uh, we look at annual momentum, quarterly momentum, monthly, weekly, daily, etc., and, you know, there's the little stuff, which is daily changes, you know, every five or six, seven days, the daily mm-hmm. trend will change. The weekly trend will change maybe every four or five weeks. Mm-hmm. Monthly, maybe every four or five months. Quarterly, same story, you know. So right now, the annual momentum trend of gold is unmistakably bullish and not even near levels that would jeopardize that definition of being bullish. But quarterly momentum of gold in the recent drop <clears throat> two, two, three weeks ago, uh, broke some structures that were noticeable to us, and we therefore felt obligated to impart that information to our subscribers. And But we cautioned with the statement I just made that annual is still positive. Mm-hmm. We also noted that a lot of lesser timescales of gold's trend were also not negative. They were, mm-hmm. you know, they were, yeah, they pulled back some, but it didn't break anything. So it was only mm-hmm. quarterly. And that bothered us a little bit. But our assessment has been since that uh, basically they, the bears, who've been pounding on gold and silver since August and are really not making much progress if you stand back and look at it objectively, especially on silver, uh, they better do it. They better have done it by last week or this week or they're not going to do it. And mm-hmm. overnight during the weekend, uh, the electronic trading of gold on Sunday night, which is part of the Monday session, but Monday was a holiday. So it's part of the Tuesday session. So mm-hmm. electronic trading Sunday night, which is actually part of today's session, made a low at 1800.8 on the February front month contract. That was a sharp drop of $29. Mm-hmm. Okay, that lasted about five minutes. Somebody dumped 3,300 contracts, whether they were disappointed in getting out of gold or whether they were trying to, you know, manipulate it or whatever, whatever the case may be. It immediately reversed about 20 bucks off that low. And today we traded $44 off that low. Again, mm-hmm. that's, that's part of today's low by the rules of the COMEX. So the low today is 1,800.8 and our high is 1,845. And the today's settlement price, best I can estimate right now, at 1.30 Eastern time was when that occurred, was about 1,841.50, up about 12 bucks on the day. Okay, so mm-hmm. a big, sharp reversal day. Silver is like a dollar and a quarter off the low of that electronic session, mm-hmm. well back over 25. I think that basically the bears have shot their wad. 
and mm-hmm. they've been. This is something that we've researched. My son Brett as well done, done a lot of homework on this. The issue of when gold rises above a prior multi years ago high, what happens? We're talking price only now. Mm-hmm. And you know, back in in two thousand uh, in nineteen seventy five, we made a high of two hundred, and then late in the summer of seventy eight, we finally took that high out. After having mm-hmm. a fifty percent drop in gold, by the way, they mm-hmm. came up, took out the two hundred dollar high. Was that a launch point? No. What happened was, for the next several quarters, gold went up and down, up and down, back above and below the old bull market peak of two hundred, mm-hmm. confusing people, basically making noise, oscillating, going nowhere, but holding its ground, basically, and then it launched. Same story happened. Uh, and of course, you went to eight fifty, you know, by by nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. So it was a right. huge move. And then later, uh, you know, in the two thousand through two thousand eleven bull move, we finally took out the the eighty eighteen. Excuse me, the eight fifty high that occurred in nineteen eighty. And what did we do then? We flip flopped around for several quarters, confusing everybody, both above and below that eight fifty price level. And after wearing everybody out, then launched and went to nineteen hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we took out 1900 when? We took it out last summer, July, June, July, August, okay? And then we've since done what? A couple quarters of flip-flopping around, both above and below that number. We're behaving precisely as we have at prior bull market trends in gold on a price basis. You take out the old high, and then you confuse people for a couple quarters. And only after you confuse them thoroughly, then you launch. And I think we're about at that point now where mm-hmm. the confusion, is, I think, is about to end. I think the Bears have shot their last round. It didn't do any good. Uh, and I think, that, for instance, I would say right now, if I, just to give you one number, if you close weekly, get a, a weekly close on the front month gold at about mm-hmm. 1890, now that's not near the recent highs, which were 1960, in November, early November, and yep. three or four weeks ago. But if you close about 1890 on a weekly close on the front month goal, which is now February, expect it to launch. So, okay. yes, we were cautious two weeks ago, but our caution has uh, melted. Uh, we tend to think that the, the bears had their chance and they blew it again. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to launch, and I know that you had talked about some pretty high numbers. We'll, we'll leave those go for today, but um, suffice it to say you think we'll take out the old highs, I guess. Oh, yes, yes. By 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 quite a margin, quite a margin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and silver. You mentioned just briefly. Nothing broke on silver. I think as far as your no, momentum structure, was, right? No. In fact, if you go back to August, look at the high that we occurred then. One week after the high at twenty nine ninety, I think it was. You dropped down to twenty three fifty in one week. Okay. Now, yeah. draw a line across the chart on silver at twenty three fifty, and you'll notice that it twice. Since that August sell-off, silver has broken below 2350. Spent about a week under it and said, heck, I can't sustain. Went right back above it and went back up in the 25, 26, 27, 28 area. Well, this recent break didn't even get to 2350. And right now we're trading about 25 and a quarter. So mm-hmm. if you sold silver back in August into that hole, you're not making any money. Mm-hmm. You know, no. you're kissing your sister. The silver market's going sideways at, at worst. <laughs> so no. the bears, I think, have shot a lot of bullets and they really haven't gained ground. And I think right, it's Michael, about to wrap up. All right, Michael, with about a minute left, 
in terms of commodities. What do you like most? And maybe a quick comment on platinum as one of our listeners uh, would like to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, platinum is a laggard. It's, It's moving with the commodity complex now. It broke out a few months ago by our metrics and even on a price chart. But it looks no better than, uh, it frankly doesn't even look as good as corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not behaving like gold and silver. It, and, and I think the reason for that is simply it is not a monetary metal. It is a mm-hmm. precious metal, an industrial metal, uh, but it is not a monetary metal and it's not behaving like gold mm-hmm. or silver. And mm-hmm. I think it will move up with the commodity complex. And right now it's trading about, I think, 1,080 on platinum. I think the next next swing target on platinum, not the last one, just the next move, could take it to 1,400. But mm-hmm. uh, I, it's really not doing better than the overall commodity complex. All right, very good. And the, I guess the grains are what you're really most bullish on right now. Well, the, grains in, look good. We like fertilizer stocks. Some of them have gone up since our buy signal is uh, 30%. Some of one of them 75%. Um, we like certain of the oil subsectors, uh, stock market subsectors of the oil industry better than we like energy itself, though energy is moving up. Uh, so, you know, there are various, it's not just the commodities themselves. Sometimes it's the stocks that are related to the commodities mm-hmm. that are doing sure. better than the commodities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. We'll have to leave it go at that. Thank you so much, Michael, uh, Thank for you, being Jay. with us again. And uh, your insights always are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. Well, folks, we Thank do you. have to go to break now, but don't go away because we'll have another Michael with us, Michael Timmons, for the first time of Fury Gold Mines. will be with us to talk about that company's three exciting gold projects in, uh, in Canada. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Timmons. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cassiar Gold Corp. trades on the OTCQB under the symbol CGLCF. And on the TSX Venture Exchange, under the symbol GLDC, its flagship asset, the Cassiar Gold Project, is a large advanced stage road-accessible gold property with an NI43-101 compliant resource estimate of 1 million ounces at 1.43 grams per ton gold at the Taurus near-surface bulk tonnage gold deposit and 15 kilometers of high-grade gold prospects. The property hosts several past-producing high-grade gold mines and is in search for the next multi-million ounce gold camp in British Columbia. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Michael Timmons. He is the president and CEO uh, and a member of the board of directors of Fury Gold Mines, uh, and it's really good to have him with us today. Fury is a successor company to RN Resources, which uh, had been also a sponsor to this show in the past. In October of last year, RN acquired East Main Resources. Uh, and changed the name of the company to Fury Gold Mines. East Main had developed an advanced stage gold project known as the Eau Claire Project in the James Bay region of Quebec. And those of you who followed Aron in the past know also that that company had a Committee Bay Gold Project in Nunavut and the Homestake Ridge Project in British Columbia. So Fury Gold Mines is now purely a Canadian exploration company that is developing three very attractive and highly prospective gold projects. And concurrent with the acquisition of East Main Resources, RN spun off its two Peruvian gold and copper projects into two private companies. Those two companies remain private as of, uh, as of this date. Uh, so that's the history and origin of Fury Gold Mines. And, and um, so we want to say hello to Michael Timmons, who, uh, as I mentioned, is the president and director of Fury Gold Mines. Uh, he brings over 20 years of experience as a mining executive from his work with a number of companies, including household name companies like Agneagle Eagle Mines and Placer Dome. Uh, uh, Mr. Timmons was vice president in corporate development of Agneagle, where he played a key role in the development of the Kittala Mine in northern Finland uh, and in the acquisition of a Cisco Mining for $3.9 billion. He has uh, degrees from uh, Queen's University, an EMBA. University of British Columbia is a master's in uh, science and metallurgy uh, and uh, from Bishop University. Uh, and he also serves as a director and of the uh, audit committee member for Exelon Resources, another company that uh, yours truly is familiar with in uh, has been in the past. Uh, Michael, welcome, and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you, Jay. For um, I'm, I'm certainly happy to be here, and thank you for the introduction and, uh, and a quite an accurate uh, history of Fury. Yeah, it's one that I followed uh, from the old days, and I did know the uh, East Main Company, too, uh, some time ago. Uh, so I'm really delighted to have you here. I, I wonder if you could just perhaps... Uh, give us a little background of those three projects, the Euclare, the Committee Bay, and Homestake Ridge. Uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about what you have there now and what your exploration plans are going forward this year. Sure, I'll start with a bit of a, a, bit of a, a blurb on Fury. So, mm-hmm. you know, as you pointed out, explorer developer focused on high-grade gold in Canada. And the vision is to, is to build a mining company, right? But I would say for the first 24 to 36 months, it's going to be exploration, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that means growth. That means large-scale uh, exploration uh, and probably some smart acquisitions as we go as well, not just the projects we have. Mm-hmm. Across the platform, 3.7 million ounces of gold at an average resource grade of around 7.3 grams per ton. So I think that's a standout. And as yeah. you say, there's a suite of, of assets that we have. 
We've got 80 to 100,000 meters of drilling plan over the next 18 months that's really going to launch uh, the new company and, and drive valuations this year. And in our view, uh, you know, it's big action plans equal big gains in value, right? And that's what we got lined up for shareholders in 2021. As you pointed out, the lead asset, of, you know, and we're really thinking about this in a pipeline form rather than, you know, you have a, you have a flagship asset um, and everything else doesn't get a lot of, uh, you know, bandwidth and, and interest. Uh-huh. Um, we are moving the entire portfolio ahead. The lead asset is the Eau Claire asset, and it's located in the James Bay Gold Camp. So this is kind of a, it's not a new camp, but it's being reinvigorated. Uh, in my view, so I think it's newly emerging and re-emerging again. Uh, that has tremendous upside that was completely missed by the market, right? And we can talk a bit more about that uh, mm-hmm. as you go because you're familiar with uh, with East Bay. About mm-hmm. a million ounces of eight grams, sixty uh, percent of the resource is measured and indicated, which is very high quality and mm-hmm. really what we purchased in the uh, in the. Tr- in a transaction. We just kicked off 50,000 meters devoted just to that program, exploration, infill, and step-out drilling. And we really want to test that down plunge extension of the deposit. We're about six holes in, assays pending, and we're going to have results out uh, shortly. And as I've, you know, as I've said, uh, you know, and as we're, we're talking and certainly referencing some of the news going into, uh, into, going into Christmas, um, Eau Claire just continues to get better and better as we reveal more and more prospectivity at the deposit proper and along the trend. Uh, every structure at Eau Claire is mineralized, and the, the market didn't get an appreciation for that. Mm-hmm. We started uh, some initial geophysics. Uh, we outlined a seven-kilometer trend, intersecting high-grade structures. Within that is where we're going to be growing uh, the resource. So our goal is pretty bold, Jay. We want mm-hmm. to come in and we want to completely rescale the project. So in my view, that's a double. And we want to get to that first junior producer category of 150 to 200,000 ounces a year annual production scenario. That's a pretty big goal, mm-hmm. right? Um, and an opportunity for us to really lever our deep technical skill sets uh, to outline and capture the upside and the value. Mm-hmm. Um, the plan for exploration is crafted around that goal. And so, you know, we want to go out with some early and aggressive step-out drilling to test that one-kilometer downplane extension. Um, mm-hmm. Shortly, we're going to come out with some news uh, with, as soon as we get results back on what we're calling our first expansion holes, the very first hole we put in the tar- into, the, um, into the target on the downplane's extension. And this is going to be our B1 hole. So you're going to see that coming. It's 600 meters away from the deposit downplane. So that's a huge step-out. Oh. Uh-huh. Hitting, hitting goal-bearing structures... In that hole, um, real, in my view, um, means that we are indeed on path to at least double Eau Claire, right? So mm-hmm. you're going to see that a lot from Curie going forward, certainly on Eau Claire, but cer- and, and certainly on the other projects where, you know, we're going in with a theme bigger sooner, right? The sooner we know what we have, uh, you know, at, at any of the, the deposits, the sooner we know what we, we want to do uh, and the sooner we, we can have more efficient plans moving forward. So between that dramatic expansion of the Eau Claire deposit itself and, and, uh, and some of the potential that we have actually on surface, a long trend, um, I'm pretty confident at our plans to rescale. Hmm. The yeah. Homestake project, the Homestake project is in, uh, is, you know, resides at the southern tip of BC's Golden Triangle. It has a very nice starter resource of 1.2 million ounces. The approach for 2021, in my view, is a return to exploration. You know, my goals are to improve the ounce profile of the project. We're not getting a lot of valuation right now for Homestake. 
Uh, and I think that's for a few reasons. Uh, the first reason, and, and you're, you're very aware of this, was that, you know, probably 18, 24 months going into the transaction, um, Orin had really been focusing on uh, marketing their Peruvian assets. Right. Which, which, made, which made a lot of sense. And so, and also, um, if you look back in, in, the, in, you know, in the body of knowledge for Orin, you would have found that uh, Homestake Ridge was signaled to be for sale. Yes. Um, it's not for sale now. It's not for sale now. So we, 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 got, we, we have a little bit of a reintroduction to do. And the best way I've found to reintroduce projects to, to the market and to investors is, is, is to hammer it with drilling. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's exactly what we're going to do this summer. So we're going to hit Homestake um, with the largest drill plant program that that project has, uh, has really seen to date. Um, we want to upgrade the current resource, so that's a bit of a, a, bit of, um, a conversion on it. We want to test some exciting theories that the guys have um, to test some of the deep targets as we chase some of the high-grade shoots, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Golden Triangle is one of these places that when you go to depth, it, it can give, right? And that's part of the, part of the design uh, of theory um, and what it offers to investors, right? You know, you have, you have some folks looking for, you know, that steady ounce addition, and growing resources, mm-hmm. right? Low-risk, uh, you know, resource expansion-style growth. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, when you own a mining stock, you want to have a little bit of sizzle, uh-huh. right? Um, and so each of the projects, each of the, uh, and the sizzle comes with um, the, the potential new major discovery, new lens, let's drill a kilometer and a half. Let's, let's, let's do it, let's, let's go into the unknown, right? And you want to do that to some extent, um, you know, you know, we want to be good stewards of, of our shareholders' capital, sure, obviously. Sure. And there's a lot, a lot of capital allocation. But I think from a share price appreciation and from an excitement and from a following and from a, a, like a rewards basis for our, our support of the shareholders, um, I think you do have to take these, 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 these measured swings. Mm-hmm. That's what gets people excited. Yeah, I 20 agree. To 30, 000, yeah, 20 to 30,000 meters uh, in the program will kick off in early summer. And the results are going to come out from that program at Homestake um, into September's conference season. So I think the timing of that is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Committee Bay is, is really the third asset. Um, shareholders, in my view, are uniquely positioned in a world-class, uh, world-class exploration project in Lindeberg. We control a 300-kilometer greenstone belt, high-grade top to bottom, and most of the geological heavy lifting is behind us. I mean, Orin had been up there for five years, mm-hmm. which in Nunavut age really only means 11 months, which is interesting. Dog, dog years. Um, you have 100 days a year mm-hmm. to, to go there and execute the plan, right? So we are gearing up, execute the plan. You know, some of your, uh, some of your listeners... Uh, probably saw the recent acquisition uh, of TMAC by Agnico. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? And so when you have a great mining company like Agnico doubling down in Nunavut with a second operating platform, to me that's pretty compelling evidence that Nunavut, you know, despite its location on the globe and despite the temperatures and despite the two-week um, winter storms, is really one of those few places left in the world where you can still find uh, and develop large high-grade gold deposits, right? So the feedback that we've been getting from investors has been very positive as they really start to anticipate what's to come this summer when they go up, right? You saw that phenomenon a little bit with, um, 
with Orin, you'd see, you know, late spring, you know, share price appreciation, people getting excited, a lot more marketing by the company. And that's, that's for a good reason, because it's exciting. I think you're going to have, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have a North America watching us as we go up, because that's, that's an area of the world that can really give. Next summer is going to be the most impactful 10 to 15,000 meters of drilling that we have to date on the project. Uh, we're going to expand the three bluffs resource that we have there now. Mm-hmm. So 1.2 million ounces of over seven and a half grams. So again, that's an amazing start on our way to what you really need to have if you're going to convince people that you want to move ahead with the project. Uh, critical mass, in my view, in Nunavut is around five million ounces and you have to be over seven grams. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a critical mass. That's the target. Um, and we're also going to go up and, and hit uh, some exciting regional, regional targets uh, really for the first time on, on a new bit of fingerprinting. Um, mm-hmm. 2020, 2020 was, a, was, was a down year. You know, COVID and, and COVID restrictions. There's a lot of very vulnerable communities up in Nunavut, right? And we don't want to be the ones bringing, uh, bringing COVID right. up to the Right, to the for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we, we, we elected not to go uh, last year. And so what we did is we, we looked at the data and we just, we just re-ran and re-crunched. And the guys truly believe, and they've made me a believer, that we finally found the last fingerprint of the three-bluff high-grade signature. And it's at the highest range of, of, of conductivity, for those of you that, uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, 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 that resonates with. And so sure. basically, we have a filter. We have a filter. And then so we went out to the land position and ran that filter, and it turns out that we were 50 to 200 meters away from where the, the signature says to be drilling. Uh-huh. Uh, in the, you know, 2017, 2018, they were, they were hitting the system, and they were getting critical widths, you know, 10, 30 meters of grade, but it was all 0.5, 1 gram, 2 grams, and yeah. not the 7 or above that you get at 3 blocks. But now we're going out with a bit of a, bit of a retool, um, and, and because now you can imagine in theory now that there's a bit of an asset, uh, you know, a multiple asset approach that, that, um, you know, community Bay has to do less heavy lifting. Yeah. Right. Yes. Community Bay was by itself in its own company. You know, you'd always have to be putting news out active all the time. The COVID really would have made a, a quite yeah. a negative impact, but because yeah. it's our third asset in the pipeline, we can be uh, very focused and very selective on what we do when we go up. Uh, uh-huh. And again, the whole point being to, you know, expose our shareholders to some, to some discovery. Um, I love the project. I'm familiar with the area. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be exciting. So no shortage of geological potential at the assets um, in a very busy technical calendar this year, which I think is a great situation to be in. And it's certainly a great situation to be talking to people like you about, uh, Jay, and, and marketing as you go through the year, because we're going to be very, you know, very catalyst-rich, both major and minor, as we go through um, and, and, and have our exploration work mm-hmm. and the news associated sequenced throughout the year mm-hmm. correctly. Well, it sounds very exciting. Uh, all three projects, I had no idea that you were looking at it in such a large scale. But certainly, scale is so important with these projects. Uh, that's where the money is made when you can really find the number of ounces, the number of, of profitable ounces. And I just want to ask you, with just about 30 seconds left here, uh, you have Eleanor South as a joint venture. Uh, I guess that's really early stage, but could you just take maybe 30 seconds or so and comment on that? 
Yeah, Elena South was a project. Uh, it, it is a joint venture that we have with Newmont okay. and a smaller co- company based in Quebec called Azimuth Gold. Oh, yes, uh, okay. It is, uh, you know, we didn't talk a lot about it going into the deal. It is um, contiguous to the south. It's 15,000 hectares contiguous to the south of Newmont's mine, which I think is a strategic land position. We've okay. outlined a five-kilometer geochem anomaly that we, want to, uh, that we want to drill test in Q4. So I think going forward this year, we're going to be crystallizing uh, the value of the East Main JV. So there's going to be some news out in Q1 on that and what our plans are. Um, previously in East Main, it was getting zero value. So I'm pretty excited about introducing this to the market and, and quite frankly, you know, lighting it up a little bit for that part of Quebec. All right. So I guess just to wrap it up here, we'll be looking for some drill results, I guess, coming out of the uh, Eclair. Uh, and then ongoing exploration through the year, I guess, at, uh, on, on two of the projects. Well, all three, but two drill, I guess, drilling going on in all three projects. Some drilling. Absolutely. So. And that was, and Jade, that was by design, right? So starting mm-hmm. next week, it will be mm-hmm. continuous for the foreseeable future. All right, good. And you're well financed, as I understand it, to take you through this year anyway. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. We have a strong treasury to, to drive uh, growth for this year. Excellent. All right, we'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you very much for a very informative uh, discussion here um, to help us understand what you've got. I'm, I'm really excited about it uh, now that I hear uh, in more detail. So thank you so much, and we'll look forward to keeping up with you in the future. All right, folks. For me. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but uh, don't go away because I'm going to be back with Alistair McLeod. Um, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and some other things uh, related to the um, things that are going on in the markets these days, very unsettling things. How can you best prepare and protect yourself is always the question we try to answer on this show. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit nvgoldcore.com to learn more on this exciting story. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. 
Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really glad to have with me once again, Alistair McLeod, probably uh, one, certainly one of the most frequent guests on this show uh, because I always enjoy having him so much. His insights are always, I think, so so fitting with what's going on in the market and very helpful to me. And so I trust and I know from comments I've received that he's very helpful to those of you listening to him on a regular basis. Thanks for joining me again, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. It's really good to have you always with me. It's always good to have you with me. And I'd say uh, goldmoney.com is where our people should go to catch up with your weekly essays. You put them out every Thursday. They're always very, very important. And the one I'd like to focus on uh, was, I think, January 8th, don't dismiss gold and silver. You know, it's almost as if Bitcoin is now the new gold and silver, and it's all the rage, it seems. I I haven't checked on the last couple of days or so. so I want to I want to get into the Bitcoin issue and and compare it with gold and gold and or silver gold especially, um, but you started out your January eighth letter uh, by saying and I quote there is worrying evidence that 2021 will see the end of fiat currencies led by the U.S. dollar U.S. Uh, U.S. dollar money supply has accelerated at an extraordinary rate and uh, process a process that will continue, end of quotes. And, you know, Alistair, the argument for massive quantitative easing is well understood, I think, which is why investors are are seeking to exit the dollar, whether they think of it in those terms or not, that's what they're doing when they're buying Bitcoin or they're buying commodities or they're buying, even just buying stocks might, you know, be a way to exit the dollar. If everything is going up because there's more and more dollars bidding all manner of assets up, but what about the argument that says at some point the Fed will have to reverse course because if the dollar goes to zero, the American empire will be destroyed. And, you know, one of one of my listeners suggests that, after all, the Fed is here to serve the empire. Uh, and so won't there come a time in which they're going to have to just slam on the brakes, like Paul Volcker did in 1980, uh, and... And save the empire because the dollar has to, you know, if the world's reserve currency, the empire rests on the dollar, right? Uh, yes, it does. And um, I, I mean, I, I think the way you put it is absolutely right in the sense that uh, the one thing that the U.S. government and every government, for that matter, needs is a means of financing its spending. And it does that through taxes and it does it through um, issuing bonds, um, sometimes issuing bonds which another department of the government buys, like the central bank. But the point is that you cannot have a government with no money at all. And that is the thing that will finally drive governments to uh, accept that there must be an alternative to uh, a collapsing currency uh, because they've got no option. And the only thing they have got to stop the currency collapsing is gold reserves and uh, monetary gold in the hands of central banks will be mobilized in order to ensure that the state still has some means of paying the police, paying the military, paying the politicians, whatever. I mean, you know, you cannot have a government with no money. And that is the point which, um, uh, you know, I think has to be understood. And that is why they will eventually go back to gold. But Alistair, uh, we have AOC here, we have politicians here that are convinced that the U.S. government has endless amounts of money, and it is printing endless amounts of money. It creates money out of nothing. It grows on trees here in America, you know. Uh, 
<laughs> what are you talking about? The government doesn't, I can't, no, but seriously, I think most people can't get their head around the idea that America could not, could be a country without any money to pay its military, to pay its police, to pay its social welfare, to give money to other nations, to, you know, to send our military around the world, to beat the heck out of countries and force them to accept the dollar so that we can keep on with this dollar, can't we, infinitely? No, well, no, you can't because um, eventually, uh, you know, you, you you debase the currency to the point where you impoverish everybody. And uh, what they've got left, they finally realize what's happening. It's not prices going up. It's the dollar collapsing. And mm-hmm. so they don't want dollars. And if nobody wants a dollar, then the dollar is completely worthless. <laughs> you know, and that is... That is the ultimate uh, destination for what's happening at the moment. And uh, I know it is, it is an extraordinary thought that uh, the U.S. government and other governments will have no money under those circumstances. They will not be able to finance anything. I mean, I've seen this in um, in Africa, and uh, you know, when these the, the salaries of uh, policemen go down in real terms simply because the money is going down the drain then what happens is you you know a very good police force suddenly can only survive on corruption and that then becomes if you like part of the mix of the complete mess of a government with unsound money and uh, the only option they then have and you know um, there's all sorts of reasons why they don't want to do it like um, you know if you if you put the dollar on a, on an exchange gold exchange standard then you're going to improve the position of the Chinese and the Russians immensely because they've got more gold they've got lots of gold um, and uh, you know I can see the um, uh, the military complex thinking, well, in terms of geopolitical strategy, that's the last thing we want. But if you've got no money, then you will be driven to rescue the situation. And the only rescue at the end of the day is not Bitcoin, none of that stuff. It is gold, which the central banks already own or say they own. And they will mobilize it and they need to use uh, the currency, the worthless currency or otherwise worthless currency as the means of distributing uh, gold uh, uh, backed um, currency throughout the population. I mean, the distribution is already there. All they've got to do is utilize it. But if you uh, help us to understand how we could get to that point now, I mean, I know that we're we've got debt and our, the federal deficit is is growing just exponentially. Almost, you pointed out in December that the Fed had, I think, created fourteen percent money growth in two weeks, which annualizes something over three hundred and sixty percent. So, I mean, we're it seems to be at that point now. If you look at it on a chart, and you you put it out in your letter. Uh, showing this sort of exponential growth. I mean, we saw a big inflection point with 2008, 2009, but now it's just going straight up off the charts. And um, But yet people don't seem to be alarmed by that. Um, and it seems to me that the Federal Reserve may have changed or the that they may have changed their, their accounting of M1, M2. John Williams talks about how they sort of backdated M1 to include some M2 perhaps to make it, to smooth it out, to make it look like it wasn't such a drastic increase. Do you know anything about that? 
yeah, I mean, I haven't studied that in detail, but certainly it does look to me as if um, the rapid growth of M1 is something that, uh, as far as the Fed is concerned, is something they want to keep undercover, as it were. They don't, you know, they don't want public to be alarmed by what's going on mm-hmm. there. So I can see that. Um, I'm sure they explain it with all sorts of technical uh, gubbins, but I mean, quite honestly, it's simple. You know, M1 is increasing at an extraordinary rate. I mean, over the part, over the course of the last year, last calendar year, it was up like something like seventy percent. I mean, this is just extraordinary. Um, it's just it, it is appalling. Anyway. Um, that is just part of the whole situation, and I I have uh, said before that uh, a government which uh, relies on the expansion of money of the quantity of money uh, to finance the majority of its spending, the 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 minority being uh, through tax receipts, mm-hmm. is already on the path to hyperinflation. That's where we are. It's going to get worse in 2021. I mean, I'm just looking at the the um, uh, sort of mooted plans for, you know, Biden spending on, on um, you know, sort of trying to uh, recover from the COVID thing and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And so far, if you look at this in this current fiscal year, taking um, the Congressional Budget Office's estimate of uh, the budget deficit for this fiscal year, adding on top the various programs and all the rest of it, we already have um, a budget deficit this year of over five trillion. Well, now, you know this is this is leaving last year way behind the deficit. You know, in the second half of last year, you're looking about two point seven trillion. Now, this is before we even get um, the new President Biden's um, uh, spending on uh, you know sort of if you like um, uh, environmental. Uh, things you know and investment mm-hmm. in infrastructure i mean that all that's going to be pushed uh, and you can see that the hyperinflation of the money supply which i described is something that is going to continue into this year and it will continue at a far greater pace as well so um, this is at least the destruction of the dollar. The time taken to get there, of course, is something we can argue about. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing that is, I think, very, very concerning, and that is that uh, the Fed has been printing money uh, with the ex- ex- express view originally um, funding the government as a second has has been the second uh, uh, reason they're doing it. But originally, what they wanted to do was they wanted to inflate the price of assets. Mm-hmm. And um, the last person who did this was John Law three hundred years ago, and we know what happened to him. Yeah. So, yeah, but this is happening on a global scale, Jay, and mm-hmm. that I think is terribly uh, concerning. Now. The lesson we got from John Law is that once the scheme starts to collapse, you know. The, having sort of puffed up the bubble, in that case, the Mississippi bubble, in this case, the, the government bond bubble, even with negative yields around the world. Uh, once that uh, scheme starts collapsing, the currencies go with it, and they will go with it very, very rapidly once the slide starts. And the other thing is you've got to look at the inflationary implications of um, uh, of all this sort of rescue spending. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, people are, are going to be have credits into their bank accounts. They've already had, I think it's $400. They're going to have another, is it $1,400? No, they've had $600. They've got another $1,400. They have got um, the un- you know, sort of special unemployment benefit of another 
400 and so on. Now, all this, because they can't go out, is going to be accumulating in something which the economists will say is savings. But actually, what it is, it's a balance of uh, income, which is far larger than they would actually like to hold. Now, as soon as they can do it, people will start reducing their balances back to something normal. Now, the effect of that is going to release something like two and a half trillion of excess spending without any increase in production because exactly. it takes time to get yeah. the production going and also people are unemployed, so they're not producing. Mm-hmm. So you just imagine what the marginal effect is on prices of an extra, it's around about, I calculated it this morning, another 19% um, of uh, GDP just being forced into the economy. I mean, the effect on prices is going to be extremely dramatic. So whichever way you look at it, this is going to be a year when the Keynesian idea that you can actually reflate an economy and, you know, it's all going to be hunky-dory. People start buying the dollar again because the economic outlook is better. It's going to move interest rates up, which, uh, you know, was a normalization. The Fed will be able to taper over the next, uh, maybe in about 18 months' time. And we've got a roaring, you know, roaring 20s back again. It is a load of rubbish. And yeah. unfortunately, we're looking at a far, far worse obvious side of that coin yeah i think i think um i think our new treasury secretary uh i think she was talking about tapering but i don't see how that can happen alistair let me ask you uh you you put a chart of the 10-year treasury uh and it's it it seems to be rising and fairly dramatically at least you know compared to where it was and i think you sort of well i think you showed a golden cross on the 10-year treasury suggesting that maybe interest rates are already starting to sniff out what you're talking about, the inflationary problem, and that uh, it could actually get away from the Fed. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, if the interest rates start to rise, gold is going to be slammed down. You know, they think that, and I, I, I remember just recently saying to someone, yeah, but I, you know, I'm old enough to remember the 70s when the Fed, when the interest rate really got away from the Fed and rates started to rise like crazy. But do you think that that the markets are sort of sniffing out this inflation already? That um, you know, and who would want to buy treasuries anyway at zero real rates or negative real rates? But what are your thoughts about that? Do you think we're? Well, who, do you think who, that rates are inevitably heading higher now? Yeah, I mean, as, uh, as you say, who would buy U.S. Treasuries? Well, I can tell you the Fed and nobody else, virtually. Yeah. I mean, foreigners have been reducing their position, uh, and uh, that is likely to continue. So the Fed has not only got to fund the U.S. government deficit, it's also got to absorb the uh, stock coming out of foreign hands. Uh, and uh, uh, this is something that has been uh, triggered, I think, by uh, the weakness in the dollar as much as anything, plus mm-hmm. the fact that um, before the dollar started sliding, uh, foreigners had something like $27 trillion worth of uh, investments in in, uh, dollar financial securities and cash, and about $8 trillion of that is cash. Uh, No, $6 trillion of that is cash. So you can see that once things sort of turn around and start going south, there is an awful lot of money to come out of the dollar. And that is the big problem. What the Keynesians are hoping is that they can reverse that by, you know, having a wonderful economy as a result yeah. of stimulation and so on and so forth. So mm. you can see that there's the two diametrically opposed um, uh, uh, views, if you like, are that, uh, you know, a rise in interest rates is indicating a good future. 
or a rising interest rate is uh, indicating that um, the whole system is going to collapse if they go higher. Um, I would add to your comment about uh, the relationship between the gold price and interest rates, and that is that um, actually, if you look at it, the only thing that can happen is a rising gold price correlates with rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is supported by the point you made about the 1970s. I mean, we went into the 1970s with the Fed funds rate looking at about 6%, something like that, and the gold price just under $36. We came out of it with the gold price at 850 and the Fed funds rate at 19%. So, you know, I mean, the answer really is quite simple. There are uh, elements in that insofar as, um, and this is what Volcker managed to do, by raising interest rates sufficiently, um, you penalized people who held gold because physical gold obviously pays no interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can lend gold um, and borrow gold just the same as you can with uh, fiat currencies, um, which is a point, out, incidentally, which very few people seem to understand. But if you hold on to gold itself, it's like holding on to dollar notes. They don't pay anything um, in, in, in that uh, basic form, you know, mm-hmm. you holding cash essentially. But other than that, I mean, basically the correlation uh, uh, with gold is in rising interest rates, and gold will rise at the same time. All right, Alistair, with just about uh, well, less than four minutes left, I'd like you to just comment briefly on why you think Bitcoin is not suited to replace fiat money. Uh, what attributes do gold and silver have that Bitcoin doesn't have that makes them suited uh, to, uh, to to be money, uh, or or to be, uh, or or at least for currencies to be gold substitutes. I think there's the, 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 there are two basic uh, reasons behind this. Um, uh, firstly, uh, you need to have a form of money which is flexible, which is what gold is, because um, roughly half or maybe slightly less than half of above ground stocks we would call monetary gold. The rest of it is mm-hmm. in jewelry, industrial use, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and if uh, uh, the economy, the global economy, uh, requires more gold, then it is there. It comes from um, uh, uh, mine output, but it also comes through scrap. And if the price rises under those circumstances, then you'll find there will be a shift in emphasis on the use of gold from jewelry towards its monetary use. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it is flexible. Now, the other, if you look at it from the Bitcoin side, there is no flexibility there whatsoever. Now, furthermore, um, you can't have an economy that works on the basis that uh, the currency uh, continues to rise and rise and rise and rise, because this is completely capped. There's no flexibility in Bitcoin at all. Um, The important point about it is that if you're going to manufacture anything and you need to um, uh, have, you know, allocate capital, uh, monetary capital, other forms of capital to the manufacture of that thing. Now, if Bitcoin is the money behind your capital, what are you going to have to repay at the end of the project, say in five years? You know, it's the answer basically is that if Bitcoin is limited in the way it is and continues to be, then the price, um, you know, you're going to have to pay back so much more in real Mm -hmm. terms measured in goods at the end of the process than you are at the beginning. So that would drive the relative price of what you uh, are making way down and uh, basically make the whole project completely um, nonsensical. So, you know, it cannot work as money. It really is as simple as that. 
It can work as a store of value until you get to the point where you price it in gold and you then ask some very deep questions about uh, do you really need Bitcoin? I mean, will it? can it be priced in gold? We know it can be priced in fiat currency, but we're talking about something completely different. Yeah. That's, if you like, something for, for, yeah. <laughs> for another, well, another six months' if, time, perhaps. If you could substitute gold for Bitcoin, uh, I think there'd be... It'd be a different story. Uh, I, my engineer is telling me we have a little bit of time yet, a uh, minute or so. Uh, you mentioned a number of signals that monetary collapse is increasingly likely. Um, could you comment on some of those? Yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, commodity prices, they're all through the roof. Um, I think also that um, cryptocurrencies are signaling very, very clearly what's going on to the dollar. Um, now, having said that, a lot of the punters in the uh, cryptocurrency sphere, I think they understand the basic story about relative supply, uh-huh. but they don't understand it to the extent that they realize that what's happening is actually that the dollar is going down. <laughs> they realize that Bitcoin is going up or Ether is going up. And that's as far as their thinking go, go, uh, at the moment goes. But it's a very, very small step for them to begin to realize that actually what's happening is that paper currencies are going down. And if you look at, um, uh, you know, I mean, stocks as well. I mean, they have been inflated. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, virtually everything is going up. And when that happens, the one thing that is common is the currency is going down in terms mm-hmm. of purchasing power. Mm-hmm. That's what's driving it. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. Uh, Alistair, thank you so much, as always, for your insights. Always uh, very, very much appreciated. Uh, and we'll look to, to catch up with you again sometime soon. Hopefully. My pleasure. All righty, folks. Well, that is it for this week. Um, next week, John Rubino will be my main guest. Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about, I think, a phenomenal new discovery uh, by SK Mining. So I hope you'll join me next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. 